This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. And so, just so that you that, that you know that now now is the time, now is the season of restoration. Now is the time where 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 it's it's the the, the rain. I remember hearing our our pastor uh, saying, "Can you hear the rain? Can you can you hear the rain? We've been praying for the rain. Can you hear the rain? This is the rain that that is there to prepare the ground to receive that which will come forth later. This is the time for 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 the, the ground to be made ready." So that that which will spring forth will be established and will be planted. And so, first of all, I want to give honor to our to our pastor, Pastor Alva Hill, and an example that she has been to us for, in terms of humility, in terms of service, in terms of pressing the 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 the, the teaching that has gone forth this past year, the the uh, the, the instruction that that she's. Uh, uh, Provided for each of the ministries, the, the things that that we have seen that that have changed, and the things that we have we have seen that have stayed the same. You know, we're not here in this place together, but I, I see behind the scenes that that you know what this ministry is still going. This ministry is still advancing. This ministry is still growing. Just the other night, I saw that there are some some young people that that move from the children's ministry up to the youth with conviction, and you know why? It's because the ministry continues. Because the people must continue to grow. Just because we're not here in this building, guess what? Only a small fraction of what we're about is, is encased inside of these four walls. Most of what we're doing is in the homes. Most of what we're doing is outside of these walls. It's reaching you exactly where you are. And our pastor has set that example for us. That, that we cannot allow ourselves to, to be content with having a ministry that's inside of four walls and a roof. That we have to have a ministry that reaches outside of this building, that reaches into the very homes, that touches the very lives of the people. That we must restore this generation. That is the essential working of this ministry. And so what I'm going to endeavor to to, to teach on these these next uh, few minutes is my portion of restoration for this generation is my portion is, is restoration through maturity. And you have to excuse me, I sort of wrestled with this title a little bit because I said, well, well, maybe I should say it's restoration through Christian maturity. And I said, well, maybe I need to say it's restoration through spiritual maturity. And then God said, you know what? No, it's this restoration through maturity. Because it doesn't matter what the world thinks about Christians. That doesn't change our message. Just because the world has, has derided and marginalized that term Christian and made it to mean something that is not effective, that is not powerful, that is, that is a pushover, that is easily fooled and easily tricked, that is, not, that is not wary, that is not necessarily smart. Just because the world has taken that title, that doesn't change the message. That doesn't change what it means to be Christ-like. And I said, well, what about spiritual? And just because the world has taken that word spiritual and meant it to be something spooky and meant it to be something otherworldly, something that is unattainable by the average man, something that, that only those that are elevated and those that are exalted can attain to, that doesn't change the need that we need the Holy Spirit. That does not change the, the, the fact that we need the Holy Spirit. 
And I said, well, let's just call it restoration through maturity. You know why? Because we as a ministry, we have to be mature. We have to be complete. We need to grow up, both in the eyes of men and in the eyes of God. It's not enough for us to be saved and sanctified and wearing our white, and we say that we know our scriptures, but our finances are in ruin, but our, our homes are wrecked, but our children are out in the streets. We need to grow up. And be who God has called us to be, both in the eyes of men and in the eyes of God. Because if we're not, then we're not who God wants us to be. We're not. God is not a one-sided God. God is not a duplicitous God. God, God doesn't have any, any craftiness or, or shadiness about him. When he says that we need to be mature, he's not saying that you can be mature in Christianity, that you can be mature spiritually, but your, your, your natural life can be in ruins, that your natural life can be a wreck. He also doesn't say that you can have all the material wealth, that you can have billionaire status or millionaire status, and that you can look like you have the happy home, but you have no acknowledgement of God in your life. And that you'll be established. He says, no, you need the full package. You need all of it. Both in the eyes of men and in the eyes of God. You need to grow up. We need to be mature. And so, restoration. Your personal restoration. Listen, I like to go ahead and start with the ending first. So if you don't get nothing else, this is what I want you to know. Is that your personal restoration. Your personal restoration. Cannot be complete outside of the perfecting gift. Your personal restoration, it cannot be completed outside of the perfecting gift. And guess what? Your attempts, your, your, your efforts, your striving to restore others, that also, that can't be completed outside of the perfecting gift. God has set up a system. He has set up a process. He has set up a means for his children to become who they need to be. And that is established in the perfecting gift. And we're going to dig into that. We're going to explain that to you. Am I saying that you can't be saved unless you go to a church? I'm not saying that you can't be saved. What I'm saying is you cannot be who God has called you to be to impact this world. How are you going to feel when you get to heaven and it's just you by yourself? Because all you could do was make the confession that Jesus Christ was Lord. But your husband is not there. Your wife is not there. Your children are not there. Your grandchildren are not there. Your nieces are not there. Your nephew is not there. It's just you and you alone because all you could do with your selfish self, with your childish, immature self, was just barely, barely, barely on your last day with your last breath, confess Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you're waiting for that, i got to ask you a question. Do you think that God is duplicitous? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. You that think that you can save yourself and say everybody else can go to hell, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. So when we talk about restoration... talk about restoration, it's, it's, it's about returning to a place. Restoration is about returning to a condition. It, to, to restore means to, to send back, to, to give back, to reestablish. 
Now, one of the things that I want you to understand that restoration, it, it does not address. Restoration does not put you back at the beginning. The purpose for restoration is not to put you back at the beginning. Restoration, it is intended to place you where you need to be in this current span of time. It's to put you where you need to be, where God can use you in this current span of time. So when I went into and studied this restoration, one of, one of the things that came about was, was I was looking at this other word. It's called nostalgia. That's why I have to clarify that restoration is not to take you back in time. There's this word nostalgia. And what that means is it's, it's a wistfulness. It's a longing. It's a sorrow for, for, for the way that things used to be. Or actually the way that, that we choose to remember that things used to be. Because we always think about the good old days and there are always the good old days. But when we were in those days, we were saying it's a struggle. We, we were anxious to get out of that season when we were in it. But now that we've already got past it, we look back on it fondly. So nostalgia says that I want to I I get back. I want to take us back to where we used to be. I want to go back in time. I want to get in the time machine. So restoration, listen, it's not going to take you to the place where you were 8 years old, where you were 12 years old, and you first confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior. God doesn't need you there anymore. You're 25 years old now. God does not need a 12-year-old faith. He needs you to have a 25-year-old faith. You're 40 years old now, and God is not taking you back to when you were hooping in the valley and you first got baptized. God is saying, look, you should have progressed from there. I have more. I have something greater. I have more mature work for you to do now. So restoration is not taking you back. Restoration is not taking you back to to, to when your grandmama was alive. Restoration is not taking you back to when your founding pastor was alive. Restoration is not trying to reestablish and to, and to redig those foundations. God is saying that we, we need to grow up. Church of the living water, we need to grow up. God doesn't change, but he wants us to change, to be conformed. Restoration, it doesn't take you back. To that, that familiar place, that comfortable place, that place where you felt like you were, you were loved and where you were safe, where you were not being challenged, where there was always a piece of candy in grandma's pocketbook. Restoration is not about that. Restoration is about you being where God needs you to be at this point in time so that you can serve others. When we look at restoration, restoration is, it's essential to every single member of this ministry. Restoration is not just for the youngins. It's not just for those that you think are outside of God's will right now, that you don't think are, are, are hearing what God has to say. Restoration is for every single member of this ministry. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It has nothing to do with your fears and your insecurities. Restoration has nothing to do with your material goods. It's not about you getting back what you should have had before. It's not about you getting your reparations. About you getting your check. 
It's not about you getting that, that, that child support that's past due and you need to pay your child support. But it's not about that. Restoration is not about you getting back together with that girl that you got pregnant three years ago and you haven't seen since. Restoration is not about your relationships. It's about you being where God needs you to be. Too often we say, well, if God would just fix it, if God would just fix it, if God would just fix it, my money would be right. My home would be right. My relationships would be right. They would be where I want them to be. They would be where I would desire them to be. They would be where I would feel comfortable in this environment, in this setting. It, it, it would conform to that storybook that I wrote when I was in the eighth grade and I wrote my name with somebody else's last name or, or my name with somebody else's my wife. It would conform to my fantasy, my ideals. But God is saying that he's not concerned about your fantasies. He's not concerned about your romances. God is concerned about his will, about his purpose, about his kingdom and your role in establishing his people. Restoration is not about your traditions. It's not about your traditions. About you needing to have a steeple to go worship in. About you needing to have choir stands before it feels like it's church to you. About you needing to have an usher board and a deacon board in Mother's Day, in Men's Day, in auxiliary meetings before it's truly the kind of church that you can submit to. Restoration is not about your traditions. It's not about, it's not about you. Just plain and simple. It's not about you. It's about you being in a position so that God can use you. It's about you being in a position and a place where God can use you. Restoration, it is concerned with your fellowship with God. The Father through Jesus Christ. And your ministry to your neighbor. Go to Matthew chapter 22. We want to make sure that, that we understand that we're talking about restoration that is the essential work of this season. It's the essential work of this ministry. That we understand that, that restoration, it's not about us. It's not about our lust. It's not about our selfish desires. But it is about God's will and it's always about God's purpose. In Matthew chapter 22. A passage of scripture that we go to quite often in this ministry, starting at verse 37. This is Jesus talking. You see the letters are in red. Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The first and great, the first and highest commandment. This is where, this is the standard that we reconcile ourselves to. This is the mark that we seek to meet. This is where we seek to restore ourselves to. This is where we know we've gotten away from. In verse 39 it says, And the second is likened to it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so we see here the restoration is about you and your relationship with God. But it's also about your ministry to your neighbor. That it's also about your ministry to your neighbor. Go to Philippians chapter 2. We're talking about restoration through maturity. As a ministry, we need to we need to grow to it. We need to grow up. We need to grow up. We need to be who God is calling us to be. 
too long we've, we've been, we've been spoon-fed and, and milk-fed. Now it's time for us to, to rise up and to be the people that God has called us to be. Philippians chapter 2, looking at verse 13, it says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. See, it is God. It is God. God is doing the work. And I love that, that my brother, he talked about the Holy Spirit. He said that the Holy Spirit is the helper. The Holy Spirit is not the doer. But so it's God. He's working. God is working. God is working. How is God working? God is working in you. He's working in you. He's setting your affections. He's setting your desires. He's setting your will. But he's also setting forth your actions. He's directing you. He's guiding your footsteps. And he's guiding your steps to do his good pleasure. Not to satisfy yourself. Not to, not to fulfill your dreams and wishes. But to do his good pleasure. To do his good pleasure. And so when we think about restoration, let's go back to the beginning. I always like to, to, to go back to, 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 to sort of where, where was the fellowship first established? And if you look in Genesis chapter 2, just go there. It talks about how, how the Lord, he placed the man. He placed the man in the garden. And when, when, you, when you look at this garden, I want you to think of this garden as not just a place. Consider that the garden is not just a place. But the garden is the presence of the living God. We need to get back to where we are in the presence of the, where we can hear from the living God. Not the God of our grandparents, not the God of our parents, but the God that is alive and that is active in our lives today. That is alive to us, that quickens us. When we would sit down and we would sit back, when we would relax, because there's pains when we wake up in the morning, when we would slow down, because, we, because now we find ourselves breathing a little bit harder. Because now the years have progressed. That the God, our, our God, He's a living God. He is a quickening spirit. He causes us to be animated, to move. And to be active for His purpose and for His desire. Genesis chapter 2. Just real quickly, I just want to establish where the relationship was established. And it says in verse Genesis 2 and verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So here we see that God, that it was God who put the man that he had formed. He put his man where he needed him to be. God put his man where he would need to be. And you know why he could do that? Because he's God. Because he's God. God could put his man where he needed him to be. Because he's God. But we see that man, because of sin, that he got out of position, that he got out of place. Because of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. That he got out of position and that he got out of place. That he was separated from the presence of God. And that that sin that was in Adam, that sin was passed to every generation. And man, instead of desiring to be in the presence of God, man separated himself from the presence of God. That even us today, 
that we have separated ourselves from the presence of God and we have need of restoration. That we have need of restoration. And so when we look at restoration, let's just jump to, to Genesis chapter 12. I just want to give you a couple of examples of restoration in Genesis chapter 12. It talks about Abraham. Abraham was, was among an idol-worshipping people. That was, their, that was their business, was to make idols. Was to create things that men would then worship. They would create images, graven images. And men, in their foolishness, chose to worship that which was created. And so God says that I need to get you, Abram, in a place where you can hear from me. I need to get you in a place where you can be useful to me. And so we see in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house into a land that I will show you. And so he says, I need you to move out of your comfort zone. I need you to move away from what's familiar. I need you to move away from what you've tied yourself to by blood. And I need you to go to a place where I can speak to you. I need you to be restored. I need you to get to a place where I can pour into you and you can serve me and be on my purpose. So we see here that, that God told Abraham, he says, get away. Get away from your kindred. Get away from that which is familiar to you. But then we find later on that, that, that one of Abraham's descendants, Jacob, that restoration, the time for restoration came for, for Jacob. And when, and when the time for restoration came for Jacob, God told him, he says, you're in a place right now where you've gained wealth, where you have children and where you have livestock and much material things. I need to move you away from that. I need to move you into a place where you can hear from me. Go back to the place where I spoke to you. Go back to the place where you, where you heard my voice. So go to Genesis chapter 31. Genesis, we're talking about restoration through maturity. At, at some point, we can't depend upon daddy's favors. At some point, we can't depend on grandpa's graces. We're going to have to know God for ourselves. At some point, you're going to have to not depend on that job. Guess what? Just like you, you signed up for that job, that job is going to end for some of you sooner than you expect. For many in this nation, much sooner than they expected. But just notice, every job that you work today, there will come a day when you cannot work that job anymore. And God says, I need you to get to a place where you can hear from me. Where your attention is not taken by this job. Where your attention is not taken by your family ties. But you can hear what thus saith the Lord. In Genesis 31. This is, this is um, Jacob. He's talking to his wives about what they need to do. About, about He knows that, that his uncle, where he's been working and where he's been gaining 
uh, favor and where he's been gaining livestock, that his, his uncle is not looking at him the same way as he used to. The relationship has changed and it's not, it's not the way that it was. And, and God has spoken to Jacob and says, I need you to get back to where, where you can hear from me. I don't need you to hear from your uncle anymore. I need, I need you to hear from me. It's not what uncle says. It's what God says. And so he's telling his wives, and he says that this is what God told me to... He, say, he says in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointedest the pillar, and where thou vowedest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee from this land, and return into the land of thy kindred. Return into the land of thy kindred. So here it is. God is saying, I, I need you to go back to the place. To go back to the place where you, where you said that you heard from me. Where I spoke to you. And you made promises and you made vows. Now Jacob, he made these promises and these vows before he had wealth. Before he had children and wives. Before he had material possessions. And God is saying, I need you to leave the place that you're comfortable with now. I need you to go back. Go back to the place where you made that vow. Get out of this land and go back to the land of your kindred. Go back to where you came from. Go back to where the voice of God was, where he had sway, where he had um, uh, uh, entry into your life. And so we see a restoration that, that for all of us... It, it boils down to that restoration is how is God going to get us to the place where we're hearing from him. And I, and I say that deliberately because well, I said before that restoration is for all of us. Restoration is not for us to get to the place where we heard and we remember hearing from God. Right? Restoration is not where we, we pull up that old manna that is now wormy and moldy. And we try and rely on that. Restoration is where, where do I get to the place where I can hear from God today? Where, where can I hear from God right now? Because I need a word for right now. I need a word for my life for today. I need to press today. I need to move forward today. So restoration is where we get to the point where we can hear from God. When we look at restoration, we know that restoration, that it begins, that God is not speaking to you outside of salvation. Restoration, it begins with your salvation. Restoration, it begins with you accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I've heard so many people that, that have said, you know, God is telling me to do this. God is telling me, God is telling me to start this business. God is telling me to move to this place. God is telling me to move to marry this person. God is leading me and directing me in these areas. And these are people that are not even saved. They have not even confessed Jesus Christ. They, they say, once I get there, then I'll accept Christ as my... No, that, that's not how it works. Restoration begins, your restoration begins with salvation. It begins with you confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior.
That is, that is the act. That is the moment. That is the point in time. The place where the line is drawn. It is the dividing point from what was to what will be. There is no sense in you trying to say, well, I'm going to get to where I need to be and then I'm going to become sick. Then I'm going to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. No, your salvation is the dividing point from what was to what will be. That is the, that is the act. That is the moment of separation. The first thing is to have a relationship, your relationship restored with God through Jesus Christ. Go to Romans chapter 6. Go to Romans chapter 6. We're saying that, that we have to, in order for us to be restored, we have to, we have to be matured. We have to, grow, we have to stop having these, these fantastic ideas of, I, I made it out of a car wreck and so now I know that God is with me. Or I was, I was, I was healed from, from a disease and so now I know that God is with me. Or I got this job. Or, or she said yes, or, or he asked me, or we got the house, or our, our, our child was spared. And that's how we know that God is with us. Your restoration, it begins with your salvation. It begins with saying that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That he is, that he is the one that lived the sinless life. That he is the one that died the sacrificial death. And it is only through him. It is only through him that I can be restored into fellowship with the Father. So go to Romans chapter 6. Just going to real quickly look at verse 11. It says, Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it talks about that that sin can no longer have reign in you. That you've made the decision that there's been a, a point of demarcation, that there's a line drawn. Where you're saying that I am no longer a servant to sin, but I am a servant of the Most High God. When I reckon, that means that, that with all of my strength, with all of my ability, with my reasonings, that I have considered that in my belief, that I am no longer alive to that. That I have no longer an allegiance. I no longer have a loyalty. I'm not on that team anymore. I'm not, I'm not wearing that jersey anymore. Now I have new garments. I have new clothes. I have a new uniform. And that is righteousness through Jesus Christ, the Lord. So restoration it begins with your salvation, but you have to understand that it also it, it extends. From your salvation to your sanctification. Your restoration, it doesn't, your salvation is an act. But restoration, it extends from your salvation, from that line that you've drawn, into your sanctification. And how do we know this? Go to Acts chapter 19. What I want you to see is that, that there is more that God is asking of us. He's not asking of us just a one-time confession, but he's, he's asking for more of us. He wants us to grow up, to be mature. In Acts 19, we see that Paul, he's talking to disciples at Ephesus. 
starting at verse 2, and he says unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And so why is Paul asking, Have ye received the Holy Ghost? We said before that when you reckon that you are now dead to sin, that you should become alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That you should be animated. There should be some, some power. There should be some light. There should be some spark in you. If, if, you, if you learn nothing else, know that God, He is love. And that He gave His Holy, He gave, through Jesus Christ, He gave the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is power. That if, there was, if the Holy Spirit was inside of you, there would be power inside of you. It's the word that, that, that they use for animation. It's also the word they use for animal. And it means that you are moving, that you are made alive. That you're no longer dormant and stale and stagnant. And so back to Acts chapter 19. Verse 2, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And so Paul says, I need to check up on some things. Then I need to check up on some things. You haven't heard about the Holy Ghost. He said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then Paul said, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. They said, we, we, we heard about John's baptism, and so we, we, we've tried to turn away, we, we've walked away from our sins, we've baptized to, to walk away from our sins, but what else is there? He says, there, there's, there's, more than just, there's more than just turning away from your sins. God has a desire for you, for you to turn towards Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So they, they, they spake with tongues for themselves. They also prophesied for those that were around. Just know that as you're restored, that your restoration is not just for you. Your restoration is always for those that are around. Your restoration is always for those that are around. Go to 1 Corinthians. God is asking for more of us than just that 12-year-old, that 14-year-old experience of salvation where we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He wants us to move on into sanctification. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, And brethren, and our brethren could not speak unto you as unto spiritual... But as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. And he goes on to address them about their carnal nature. He says, you're, you're still acting in your childish ways. I know that you've confessed what you've confessed. I know the words that were spoken in the water that you were dipped into. But God is asking you to grow up. He's asking you to move forward in your restoration. Jesus, 
he tells his disciples, he tells it like this. He says that your righteousness, it needs to go beyond the thing that we are seeing with the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, your righteousness needs to go beyond that which is currently seen among the religious leadership. Go to Matthew chapter 5. I'm just trying to lay out for you the foundation that, that we, we, we need to be restored. Restoration is for all of us. It's, it's for all of us. It's not just for those that you think are new Christians or that have only been in the ministry for a short time. Restoration is for all of us. And we'll talk about it some more. Why, why, why is it that we need to continuously be restored? Why is restoration needed? Why is restoration needed? It's because God is trying to do a work in us. God is trying to do a work in us. And he's trying to do a work through us. And that work will continue. That work will continue until Jesus returns. And when we see him, we'll know that the job is done. Because we'll be like him. If we faint not. If we continue. Jesus talks to his disciples saying that their righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 5. Starting with verse 20. Jesus says, these words are in red. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he says that your righteousness, it needs to go beyond, it needs to exceed. And so when, that, when, when he uses the word exceed, when we see the word exceed, it means it has to go beyond your past experiences. Your it needs to exceed that it describes. It needs to go beyond your comfort zone. It has to go beyond what you believe is possible. What you believe is possible. Too often we become idled and we allow ourselves to be confused and allow ourselves to be stagnated by the traditions of men because we, we look at, at those that we say are, are described in the Pharisees of today. We look at those that we say that, that, that are those that are in the pulpit, that are in the exalted positions. And we say, well, that, that's, that's the... Um, that, that's, that's, um, uh, the the image that's the idol I guess I guess that's the goal that person is the goal that person is never the goal that person is never the goal our pastor Pastor Alva Hill she is an in sample she is a, a, a living demonstration of God's grace of God's power but she is not the goal our founding pastor, he served faithfully and completed his work. But he is not the goal. The goal is the very image of Jesus Christ that we be reconciled to. That is the mark that we strive towards. 
And if you actually listen to what they had to say, if you actually listen to what our pastor is saying, then that's what you'll hear every time she ministers. That it's not about her. It's not about gender. It's not about ethnicity. It's about Jesus Christ and being conformed to his image. For your righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. To go beyond hypocrisy. It's going to have to go beyond your experiences in the past. It's going to have to go beyond your comfort zone. It's going to have to go beyond even what you believe is possible. Too often we say, well, you know, I I tried. I joined the church before. And I even went through the classes, but then I found myself slipping back into, into, into my old ways. I tried and I failed. I tried and I failed. And so now I've just allowed myself to go into what, what, what we call the, the permissive will of God. What God will allow. I can no longer press into God's desire. God's, God's perfecting Gift, God's perfecting will. I'm going to go into what I think God will allow. Listen, don't be fooled. We said before that God is not God. God is not shady like that. God, He speaks with one voice. He sets one standard, and that standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. What God, what God accepts is what He expects. God, God will not accept. Just any old thing that you hand to him. Just any old good works that you choose to throw up on the altar. Just any old thing that you think will soothe your consciousness. God has set an expectation. He set a mark. And we must all press towards that mark. And so it doesn't matter what your past experiences were. So maybe you tried before and you failed. Guess what? God God gave you breath today. Today is the day to get down on your knees and to press in. It goes beyond what you thought you knew about church leadership. Guess what? They are God's servants. They're not your servants. They answer to Him. They don't answer to you. It goes beyond your comfort zone. What you think you know how to do. What, What skills you think you bring to the table. Guess what? You don't actually bring anything to the table. God is not looking at any of that. The main requirement for stewardship, the main requirement for servanthood is obedience. That's how you're being judged is by your obedience. Not by your skill, not by your craftiness, not by your cunning, but by your obedience. Have you submitted to the will of the Lord? Have you submitted to the Master's will? That's how you'll be judged. It's not based on your comfort zone. You say, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not an eloquent speaker, or I don't, I don't dress the way other people dress, or, or I don't have the same kinds of ideas that other people have. Guess what? That doesn't matter. The way that you're judged is by your obedience. It's by your submission to the Master's will. When you're submitted... When you humble yourself, when you place yourself under the hand of the Almighty God, He'll exalt you. He will raise you up to the place where you need to be. 
He will put you in the place where you need to be. And when I say exalted, think about exalted like, like Christ talks about that lamp that's placed on a hilltop. He's going to put you in a place where others can see and where they can take direction and where they can not stumble around in their darkness any longer because he has placed you. Not, the, not a place where you've placed yourselves. In order to exceed, you've got to go beyond what you believe is possible. Listen, this is a transformational ministry. This is a transformational ministry. What does that mean? It means that we are doing things in this ministry that were not done before. That we don't have the background to do. We don't have the history to do. We were not brought up to do it. But we are a transformational ministry. It, our, our daddies didn't do it. Our aunties didn't do it. But we're doing what God has called us to do. This is a transformational ministry. We have people that, that they can look through their family tree and they don't have anybody that lived their whole lives with a single husband and a single wife. But this is a transformational ministry where our families will be established, where husbands will love their wives, where wives will submit to their husbands, and where children will obey their parents. This is a transformational. It has to go beyond, beyond what you even think is possible. Behind what you think is possible. We are a ministry that, that, that is building people. That we place the preeminence of building people before we build buildings. Before we build production companies. Before we build song catalogs. This is a transformational ministry. It goes beyond what you even think is possible. This is a ministry founded by a black man. Pastored by a woman that has a word to every ethnicity to every socioeconomic class beyond what you even think is possible. This is not a black church. This is not a woman-run church. This is God's house. And it's established on the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And the gates of hell, the gates of prejudice, the case of bias cannot prevail against it. It's beyond what you even think is possible. Beyond what you even think is possible. Many of us, we've seen churches sprout up only to wither and to die. To not go beyond the founding pastor. We've seen churches rise up not to even last 20 years, not to even last 30 years. We've seen churches divided and split and then split again. And that's all that we know. But God brought us here to this place. And he says that, that there's a righteousness that has to exceed. It has to go beyond what you even think is possible. That we can have 
ministers that know the word better than pastors in other churches. And we're not bragging, we're just telling the truth. That we can have servants that don't seek their own. That are willing to place themselves under delegated authority. They're not looking to make a name for themselves. They're not looking to be famous in their own rights. But only looking to be where God can use them. Church, we need to grow up. We need to grow up. Too many times we say that I can't put my hands to this in the ministry because of who the department head is. That I can't do this in the ministry because of it might seem, it seems, that seems a little feminine, right? Are, are you sure that, that men can plan events? Well, you know, I don't know about that, you know. Or, are you sure that we can decorate? Or, what, what? Listen, beyond what you think is possible, beyond what you think is possible, are you sure that men can, can work with children and teach them about the Word of God? Yes! Beyond what you think is possible. It's not about what you've seen in the past. It's about the standard that is established by God. Don't be crippled. Don't be handcuffed by your traditions. Don't get handcuffed by by, by first-generation-itis. I was there at the house where I was there off the expressway. I was there back in so-and-so place. And my member number is in the single digits Well, my member number is in the double digits. And so now I can't put my hands to what the church is doing right now. Listen. We're going to have to grow up. Restoration. Restoration. Some of you thought that you were already there, but guess what? You're not there yet. If you're still breathing, look in the mirror. If you don't see Christ, you're not there yet. Restoration is still needed. Restoration is still needed. I love that. I love that, that, that widow woman. I love that widow woman because a lot of times we tell that, that we read that passage of Scripture and we focus on on her poverty and, and, and on her lack. But, but I've, known some, I've known some widow women in my days. I, I've known some, some mothers in my days. And, and, and you've got to understand how they think about the world, how, they, how, how good God has been to them. They, they've grown up. They're not counting pennies. They're not counting dollars anymore. They've established a pattern their entire lives of pouring out, of pouring out, of pouring out, of giving and giving and giving. When they were young, they gave. When they had their children, they didn't sit back, but they were anxious to get back into it and give some more. As their children grew older, they gave, they gave, and they gave. And finally, you have this, this, this widow woman. Her husband has gone on. And she's still giving. Her children are no longer with her in the house. She's still giving. She's still being restored. She's still being changed and conformed to the image of Christ. 
you should only hope that it would be said of you. That in every phase of your life, that in every phase of your journey, of your Christian walk, that you were never settled, that you were never stale, that you were never stagnant, but that you were always willing to pour out and to pour out and to pour out. Whatever was needed, whatever was at hand, more so, more so, more so. Many of you, you have, you have children that you're, you're fretting to God about, you know, God, I want you to bring back my children. I want you to bring back my children. But look, you have grandchildren now. You have grandchildren now. And now it's time for you to not fret about those children, but to pour in to those grandchildren. Guess what? You're the widow woman. Now it's time for you to give again. It's time to give another offering. You said, I gave, I gave all my life. I've given all my life. I put them through college. I sent, I sent them to school. And now I find that I got grandchildren. And I'm an old person. But guess what? Now it's time for you to give again. To pour out again. You have to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees, they would say, well, you know what? The money that I would have given, I now separated that and I, I, I set that aside, uh, you know, to God. Now, I don't know if they actually gave it or not. They probably just said it was set aside and I'm going to give it at some future date that may or may not ever come. And because of that, I can't even help my own parents. That's, that's how the scribes and the Pharisees were. But Jesus is saying that you need to go beyond that. Go beyond that duplicitous nature, that only seeking for yourself, only seeking your own gain. Go beyond. Your rights has to go beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he starts this, 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 um, this, this formula in Matthew chapter 5, starting with, with verse 21. He says that ye have heard that it was said. And it's a, it's a formula that, 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 he, uh, that he uses for several of these scriptures. He, it starts off saying that ye have heard that it was said. And he talks about some aspect of tradition. Some aspect about the past. Some, some aspect where people have limited themselves in the past. But now he says, but I say unto you. He says, now I'm saying something new unto you. This is what you heard in the past, but now here. Restoration is about getting to the place where you can hear from the living God. He says, but I say unto you, and he gives them the new commandment. He gives them the new commandment, and it's, it's never something that's comfortable. It's never something that causes you to draw back and to rest. It says, oh yeah, I already got that covered. No, it always challenges you. to Say, you know what, I thought, I thought that I had given a gift. But now I see a more excellent gift that I can give. Now I see a more excellent service that I can render. This is what sanctification is all about. It's about you going beyond what you even thought was possible. Listen, church, we don't have to hope. We don't have to hope to do the impossible. 
Hear that. We do not have to hope to do the impossible. That's not even a requirement. We don't have to hope to do the impossible. I hear a lot of people, they say hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. We don't have to hope to do the impossible. No. We only need to continue believing in Jesus Christ. We only need to continue believing in Jesus Christ because through him, all things are possible. All things are possible. There, there is no impossible in Christ Jesus. We only need to continue believing in Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's our role. That's our, that's our position in this dispensation. And so again, I said before that your personal restoration, we just, we just laid the foundation tonight, but your personal restoration, that it, it can't be completed. God, I hope you understand that God is asking you so much more. He's asking so much more of you than you can even imagine. Your personal restoration, it cannot be completed outside of the perfecting gift. Why is that? Because that is the method that, that, that the Lord ordained. He doesn't put you in a situation where you don't have what you need. He doesn't give you things that you don't need. And I, I could spend another 20 minutes on that, but, but just, just listen. Just, just, just hear that. God does not put you in a situation... God, you might put yourself, but God does not put you in a situation where you don't have what you need. And he doesn't give you what you don't need. He doesn't give you, God doesn't have suggestions. He doesn't, he doesn't make suggestions. He gives commands. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. He doesn't say, well, what do you think about this? Well, let's try this. Let's try that. God, God, God doesn't have to try anything. He already knows. He is the Lord. Because God is God, God can put man where he needs him to be. And he can do that because he's God. Because God is God. He can put his man where he needs him to be because he's God. And the method that he's using in this time is his perfecting gift. Many of you say, well, I'm where God I'm doing what God needs me to do. I'm doing what God needs me to do. Just know that your attempts to restore others, they will not be successful outside of the perfecting gift. Why is that? Because God does not give you what you don't need. And he gave the perfecting gift. So your attempts to restore others based on your philosophies, based on your traditions, based on your customs, based on your manipulation and your haranguing and your nagging and your worrying 
and you're staying up at night and tossing and turning, your attempts to restore others will fall short outside of the perfecting gift. Amen? Amen. So we'll pick this up next week and go, and go deeper into this because we need to understand more about this perfecting gift, about why it is so essential. Why is it so essential? Many of us thought that we were mature because we could handle our own bills, because we could manage our own household. But God says, well, have you submitted yourself to perfecting gift? Have you, have you done the, the needful thing? You, you believe as you are approved in your own eyes, but have you done the needful thing? Have you rendered honor unto whom honor is due? And I, I just love the way, that, the, the way that God does it. He allows us to come and say, God, this is what I have. This is, this is what I am. This is, this, this, this is what I bring to the table. And he says, hmm, have, have you done this, this, this essential thing? Have you done the first thing? Have you done the first thing? And then you realize that all that you thought you were bringing to God is just nothing. That it's nothing. That all you can do is bow down and bring yourself low. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.com.